Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. everyone and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. I'm Megan. I'm here with my head cold, so sorry about that. But you know, that's what happens this time of the year. Masks are off and I'm a teacher, so you know, this is just what happens sometimes. But I'm here anyway and the reason I'm really excited to be here is because Jonathan's here today. And Jonathan, we haven't talked in a while about fish. Yeah, I've been um, in the wrong place. And uh, oh, and I had COVID, so I'm here oh, with like yeah. the linger, lingering COVID and all that <laughs> good stuff. Um, because if it's not one thing, it's another. Totally, but, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited yeah, to be here. This is going to be fun. 
Yeah, this is going to be a great show. We also have an awesome guest today. We have Brian Weinstein, my friend from Attendance Bias Podcast, fresh from his win at the Wookiees for Best Podcast. So I'm very excited <laughs> to bring him on and talk to him about this awesome show that he was at. And today we are going to be talking about 9-14-2000, Darien Lake, which was also released as Live Fish Volume 3. So I'm really excited to get into this. Did you know that that's that's my birthday? I didn't know that. Yeah. This would have yeah. been a really sick birthday show. I know, but I didn't go. So that's too bad. I've never that seen Fish bad. on my birthday. They've played really good birthday shows um, for me, uh, 99 and 2000 mm -hmm. in particular. But eh, maybe someday. Yeah. Well, you saw them a few days later, right? Yes, I did. I saw them at 917 at Merriweather and it was great. I mean, we'll get into the whole thing, but you know, it was I like outdoor fall shows, although oh, this particular yes. one uh had its downside. Get into that, <laughs> but uh I love I love that idea, you know, it's like it's cool out maybe. Like like it's if I best. were to go to a fish show tonight, the weather would be just absolutely amazing for that in the mid-atlantic right now so it'd be perfect too bad they didn't not, book any yeah not like the shows that you and i saw in raleigh this year the show that was two thousand yeah. degrees outside exactly yeah it's, it's amazing to go to a like show that in my life and not sweat like that is uh kind of to be aspired to yeah exactly well, before we bring Brian on, I just want to remind everyone to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple for HFPod Premium. You're going to get free premium content that we don't give out to anyone else unless you're a premium listener. And that's ad-free content, and it's just fun conversations that we talk about. I think we're recording another one this week, and we're going to talk about our favorite non-fish and Grateful Dead albums that we've been listening to, which is fun. You know, I've got some of that. You know, you know Jonathan has got some of that. <laughs> Jonathan's epic record collection is something that I am totally have a lot of respect for. It's pretty amazing. Uh, nah, the guy across the street has more. He does? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of fun. You guys must have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we have a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, RJ will be back on Wednesday, and he'll tell us all about the event at Nectar's last night because it looked so fun and super awesome. And I'm excited to hear that. They were celebrating Waterwheel's 25th anniversary with Ben and Jerry's. Osiris was there and there was tons of great musicians. So I'm excited to hear about that when RJ gets back. And oh, we yeah. look forward to that. Yeah. And everyone make sure you're checking out Undermine because season four is out now. Last week we had three episodes with John Paluska, Amy Skelton, Shelton, Shelton? Skelton. Skelton. I said it right the first time. And um, we also had Holly Bowling on. So check those out. It's really fun as they're like kind of doing all these important shows that lead up to Fall 97. And then they're going to do every single show from Fall 97 on its anniversary with someone who was there, which is really pretty cool. So that sounds like a lot of work for those guys. Um, but uh, yeah. amazing guests. <laughs> uh, just, just putting that out there both so far and up ahead. So everybody should be checking these out. Yeah, I'm really excited about the guests we have coming up ahead, too. It's exciting. So check it out. All right, should we bring – let's bring Brian on. Let's do it. Hey, Brian. Hello. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. I'm Thanks great. for having me. It's so great to have you here. I really appreciate you coming on. We're so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to be here. I'm feeling fine. 
and oh, I've, uh, I've never seen <laughs> Fish on fun. my birthday either, but they have played a Game Hen show on my birthday in 1991, so I have that going for my nine-year-old self. <laughs> yeah, good, good vibes at so least. No excuses <laughs> for not being there. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you wanted to come on, and we decided that maybe you should come on because we were out on Friday night together. I talked Brian into coming and meeting my friend Shana and I, out at a really fun show, Brooklyn Bowl. We went to see a uh, pink talking fish. With it was great. the, what are they called? The, not residual. perpetual groove, residual groove, right. Yeah, and they were awesome too. They were so awesome. They're a band from Connecticut and they had the whole entire place just absolutely dancing nonstop. It was so great. I never knew that I needed a jammed out version of Night Fever, but I did. <laughs> I did. Sounds exhausting and a lot of fun. In the it best was way possible. Yeah. yeah, I think like <laughs> I have to say, Brian, this the Pink Jogging Fish came on the, their set. First set started at 10. And I think everybody thought they were just going to play one set. And then they had a set break. And Brian, you said to me, oh, I think I'm going to be leaving right after the second set starts. And you did not leave. Nope. Love it. <laughs> well, and I'll hand it off. Uh, my friend Chase came out and met us. And he lives in Williamsburg right near the venue. And he leaned into me during one of the songs and he says, I can't believe I've never seen Pink Talking Fish live before because you know you're going to love every single song they play. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Exactly. They, they can't yeah. go wrong when you have those three bands to pull from. No, it was awesome. I, he kept turning to us too and saying, I'm having so much fun. This is great. Like, yeah. That was, was the vibe really in the room. It was a really fun vibe. Yeah. And Cal Kehoe, the guitarist for Pink Donkey Fish, is just absolutely tremendous so the whole band's awesome so check them out if you can but we should really get into what we're supposed to talk about here today and we are supposed to talk about Darien Lake September 14th 2000 so let's get into like where the band was in the fall of 2000 I know Farmhouse was released in May and then they did a pretty big summer tour they toured through the southeast the northeast they went up to Toronto for a night and then on to the midwest and then they ended the summer in Japan for the second year in a row and played a couple shows there. And then they have this fall tour that starts just a few days before they played four shows, two in Albany and two in Great Woods before the show at Darien Lake. But they're at a really interesting point as far as where they're about to go. Um, I don't know if, Jonathan, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's funny looking back online and looking at uh comments and stuff people trying to recall without actually looking stuff up which you have the internet folks learn to google um i actually saw people asking <laughs> did people know that fish was going to take a hiatus and the answer is yes it was published in entertainment weekly in an interview in august so before the tour you know, people who read the magazine, I weirdly actually subscribed to that magazine, partially really? because they actually covered fish, um, but other reasons, too. I like entertainment sometimes. Um, and paper magazines were still a thing. And, uh, and so I'd read that. Them, by the way. Yeah. And uh, read that. And so we knew. I, I'm sure there were people at the shows who didn't know. But I think the general consensus, the general awareness was that, you know, we knew it was coming. The band didn't talk about it on stage until Vegas. That was the end of the month. But 
So I think there were, you know, I saw the show three days after this, Meriwether, and I think that, you know, people were kind of teed up for this to be their last fish show for a while. They said, and, you know, I, I don't have the quote, uh, in front of me, but Trey said something to the effect of, you know, we're not done. This is, you know, we're just, just means we're not touring next year. We're not booking anything at this time, which is a big difference from, from what we heard a few years later. Um, yeah. but it was still a little like weird because fish hadn't really done that other than, you know, like in 95, they didn't do any spring, you know, so we had to wait until summer to get shows after the fall, after New Year's from 94. But so there was that kind of hanging in the air. Yeah. I mean, they've been steadily touring since the beginning, basically, you know, since the mid to late, mid to late eighties, like constantly. So this was a big deal. They How were you, also Brian? pretty, yeah, they were also pretty close to, I don't know if they were close to crossing over onto the mainstream, but they were becoming more and more mainstream in the year 2000. You know, Jonathan mentioned that they were on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. Not only were they on the cover, Entertainment Weekly printed four separate covers, yeah. one with each, yeah. one for each band member with their face shot from underwater with their mouths open. And of course, I collected all four because well that's done. where I was. Uh, they did I, that. I think I have them all in the box upstairs, yeah. Yeah, they're always in the box upstairs or under the bed or in the attic. Uh, there's also, um, they were on VH1 for an hour-long special. Like, they were not necessarily a cult band anymore. Uh, in the article, like Jonathan just mentioned, I dug it up, and the writer, Tom Sinclair, literally presented them as, quote, an Atlantis beneath your nose, as if... Wow, look at that. That's amazing. He, like as if there's some sort of hidden underworld that was like nothing you're used to. You just got to poke a little bit to find them. And they're everywhere. You just can't see them to the reader, to the uninitiated. So they were right there on the precipice of becoming like where Dave Matthews, I think, ended up. But mm -hmm. then they took the hiatus. And I think that kind of dissipated that idea. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was hard to ignore them after they had the biggest concert on the planet for the millennium, right? I mean, it's hard to ignore that. And even when they did that, I mean, ABC cut to that concert. I'm sure it was just for heavy things, but that was yeah. no small thing to get that kind of recognition at the time. So yeah, they were in a, they were really in a pretty big place. And the audience showed that too. The audience was exploding. There were, mm -hmm. they kind of, uh, what is it? What's the phrase? They, uh, I can't think of it right now, but they kind of crossed the boundary where now I think more people were coming to the shows for the, for the party, for the scene, less so than the music. They kind of, the, the balance started to shift where more and more people were coming just for that purpose. Whereas the party was used to be an offshoot of the music and the scene. Now mm -hmm. the party became the scene. And this show at Darien Lake, when I was there, I had never seen anything like that parking lot before. What uh, what show was this for you? Like, how long had you been seeing them? I'm sure you've said that on our show before, but uh, forgive me for asking again. No, no, no. I could probably count real quick. So, seven, I saw my first show was in the winter tour, the uh, holiday run in '97. So, okay. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This was my eighth show. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, being there in 97, uh, 
I saw one of those holiday tour shows, uh, but and around in 98 and stuff in 99, the party was there, but you're right. I think that the scales were tipping and it was getting, it was wild. It was wild to those last couple of years. It just kept building. Yeah. yeah I Cro- think that's what it was. Like, I think it started like when Jerry died and a lot of those people moved over and then it became like, there was two lot scenes that had to be kind of combined into one place now. And then I think, yeah, as the drugs got harder and, you know, things got a little bit more intense. I mean, I think the the drugs that were going around in the late 90s, early 2000s were just different from what was going around in like 94, 95, you know, just different. Yeah, the phrase that I was thinking of earlier was crossing the Rubicon. I think they got just a little bit past the point of no return. The crowd did, not the band necessarily, but that has a lot to do with it, I think, that the drugs were a lot harder and they were mm-hmm. so much easily, they were so much more easily accessible in the sense where I remember at this show at Darien Lake, someone came up to me, asked me where the bathroom was. And I didn't really know. I just pointed in a random direction and he said, thanks. And he just pressed a single pink pill into my hand. Unsolicited, didn't ask for it. It was unlabeled, you know, not, not out of a <laughs> bottle, obviously, but it was like, that's how easy it was that they literally came to you without any sort of effort. It was, right. it was creepy. It got creepy. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. There was a lot wow. going around. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine the backstage scene was probably very intense too. So I think that probably played a factor into why things were feeling a little out of control for everybody, the band and the, and the audience. Yeah. Well, I, I want to think... get into, go ahead. I'm Brian. sorry. I was just going to say, I don't think the backstage, uh, the backstage uh, pastime was chess anymore. I don't think that was taking up the most time any, you know, compared to the mid nineties. No, the table had other things on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Exactly. No, it's so true. Um, I want to get into that, the the vibe of the show and kind of like more about the lot and what was going on then. First, let's take um, a quick moment to just thank our friends at section 119 Everyone knows Section 119 is the premier apparel brand where many fans shop to represent their favorite band in everyday life. They've got sophisticated designs and epic quality. Section 119 offers donut-inspired button-down shirts, board shirts, dry-fit polos, and hoodies, and lots of other amazing clothing types. I was wearing my very thin um, Grateful Dead hoodie this weekend when we saw Pink Talking Fish. It was one of my layers because it was like freezing, windy, cold outside. But then when you're in the van- in the venue, you're hot. So I just had it, tied it on, actually hung it on like the corner of the rail on the side. So I had like a little spot secured with it too. So highly recommend that. They're the best. I wore one of their button downs to a business meeting the other day. Yes. I look pretty good. You look sharp, right? <laughs> Their stuff is made really, really well. I wear my button-down, short-sleeve, little Grateful Dead shirt all the time to work. It looks nice. It's a good look. It's a teacher look. You know, it's kind of like a cool teacher look. That's my vibe. (laughs) So check them out. The code you can still use, probably not for very much longer, is SUMMER22, and you're going to get a 20% discount off your next purchase. So check them out. It's section119.com, and the code is SUMMER22. So, yeah, let's get into this vibe of the show Brian, you were there. So tell us kind of a little bit about like your day and what it was like getting there and what the scene was like. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I got there on behalf of my brother. So I was a freshman in college at SUNY Buffalo and my brother was a senior at the same school. I did not have a car. He did. So he knew I was into fish. He was not and is not. So I said to him, if I bought you a ticket, would you give me a ride? And he heard of fish through me. 
And what he knew about fish basically was the party scene and hoist. And that was really it. That was all he knew. So he got three or four of his friends together. I got tickets for all of us. And we went, we got there quite early because most of my previous shows had been in Madison square garden. And so I didn't really have a big lot scene experience because there is no lot at Madison square garden and previous shows I saw at um, the Nassau Coliseum, I wanted GA front row. So I went straight to the line. So this was my first like typical experience. It was gray outside as it usually is in Buffalo in September. Um, and I just remember a very large lot scene. I just remember being crowded shoulder to shoulder. Wherever you went, there was someone else already there sort of thing. And when it was time for us to get started to get into the venue itself under the, the canopy, uh, they already had started playing. They opened with Punch You in the Eye. And you, we didn't like wait to the last second to get in. It was just a real crush. So it was very lively. It was very exciting. It was a little overcast, uh, but it was just very bustling, I think is the word that I could best use to describe the, the, the vibe. It was teeming with excitement. Can I jump ahead a little bit and just ask you, when did the rain start? I was actually under the tent, so I can't tell you exactly when it started, but I can tell you that it was in full force at set break. Fair enough. Yeah, wow. it seems like there was a pretty intense rainstorm during set break. Did it stop when the show started or for set, set two? I don't remember what the way that I remember the rain was um, I, we heard it. You could hear mm -hmm. it because the acoustics at Darien Lake are not very good. Uh, when Trey says at the end of set one, it's cool playing under this giant tent. It really does look like this kind of like uneven roof. That's a tent. And so the sound swirls a lot. It's very echoey. And so you could hear like almost like a tin roof. You could hear a lot of the rain on the roof, pouring down on the roof. And um, I remember at set break, when they got off stage, everyone in the tent turned around and kind of looked at the at the the lawn and huge ovation. Like the fans were cheering for the other fans who were there, like oh, taking in the awesome. Oh, I read about that somewhere too. That's why it was wild. like a salute, like a, a tip of the cap. Wow, that's really cool. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen at a show. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, and viewer Incredible Perp says it kept raining all night. So, of course, they were there. Of course. Yeah, I know. Brian, yeah, he was there. I think he was pretty <laughs> close, too. He was telling me he was pretty close up, like 12 rows back or something. So he was oh, also wow. under the, sounds like, under the the tent, thank goodness. But sounds like it was pretty intense. Well, let's get into this music. The first set reads Punch You in the Eye into Reba, Albuquerque, Karini, Okipa Ceremony, into Susie, into a jam, or just Susie kept jamming, whatever, however you want to feel about it. It's very confusing to me how sometimes they're labeled that and sometimes they're not. I understand it may have to do with, you know, paying people royalties, but well, this is their own song. I can talk about this one. Please so do, you're right. Please. So when they do, if you look at Live Fish and you look at the second mm -hmm. set and Drowned into Darien Jam... Darian Jam 2. Um, yeah. That is a royalties thing. And they've they've stopped doing that for whatever reason. Thank God. Uh, Susie Greenberg, if you look at fish.net, they listed as Susie Greenberg into Jam. And I'm just going to talk about that song a little 
this performance a little anyways, because I had this in my brain. Um, so I was re-listening again today. In the Susie, they get into this great funky breakdown that is a little atypical and really fun. And then they finish the song. And they finish the song, and but then on a just drop back into that funky jam. And so on fish.net, they label it Susie Greenberg into jam. And I think that's accurate. Um, they could have got away with not doing that, and that wouldn't have been inaccurate either. But uh, uh, yeah. So, you, so there that you makes go. sense. So it's kind of like because they finished the song. The song's done. Started back up but again, then they, right. they, and, and you could almost say they stop. You notice that on fish.net, they have the uh, just the carrot for the arrow. They don't have a line in the carrot, which <laughs> right. would indicate that they didn't stop at all um, yeah. or even a beat. And so, and you hear it. It's it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like a break in a start-stop jam, but it's really Susie Greenberg ends, keep jamming. Um, I don't know if Trey just looked at the clock. <laughs> That's what I time. I've been wrestling with that for 20 years now, or I guess 22 years. Uh, what, did, did, were they so inspired by the funk? Because Susie Greenberg itself sounds really fun. There's a lot of yeah. good solos. Paige especially shines during it. And it's a lot of fun, but the set itself, including that little extra jam is only something like 58 minutes. And the right. jam at the end is 11 of those minutes or something like that. So my mm -hmm. thought was with like Jonathan said to Trey or whoever look off stage to those little clocks they have and say, Oh shit, our set is only 50 minutes right now. We got to pour a little extra on, but maybe not have the, the mindset to start a brand new song and just rather jam over three chords the why is kind of immaterial because it's awesome. No matter what, however you slice it, you know, the ends justify the means, but it's, it's really something I've been thinking about. And I don't think I'll ever find the answer to. Probably I mean, not. At the end of the, and at the end of the day, who cares, right? Like right. it's like a sick funk Susie jam. I absolutely love it. It's totally 97s style. I love it. It's so good. It's such a fun, they sound like they're having a lot of fun playing it. It's awesome. And I agree. I think it's cool. I was reading about like why they chose this album or the show to release as like one of the first volumes in Live Fish. And Trey was saying that he thought the first set had a really like eclectic set of songs, which is funny because it's like you picked them. But yeah, that <laughs> they are. They're He's really right. eclectic. Yeah, He's right. yeah. And and he talks about the Karini. Um, but it's so funny because I feel like this is like the best, like interesting version these whole this whole set is like so interesting and has so many great moments i think that the reba especially is absolutely incredible i think i texted you megan when i was listening to the reba the other morning and you know i use that weird gif of um well i don't know it's just it was it was just a very breezy psychedelic moment here and i'm just eating you know drinking tea on the back patio and listening to this reba just kind of soaring well, through space like, sitting in my chair it's, it's a like beautiful melancholy, right it's like somberish it has like this kind of melancholy feel to it it's you know i feel like in 99 and 2000 they were entering a lot of that space a lot of the time and maybe that's just thinking about the end and also just thinking about what's different about playing this kind of music now but yeah i feel like this reba is is really beautiful and interesting that trey picks like the carini to talk about and the set list as opposed to like these three jams that kind of or what I would think about for this show, but it's funny. 
Yeah, the word layering came up a lot in my thoughts when listening to this show, all both sets. Um, but that layering that was very common in 2000 is present in this Reba. This isn't like a 93, 94 mm -hmm. Reba with tons of peaks. And I know you said soaring guitar, but it's a kind of a different. It's more of like an ethereal yeah. soar. He's got a like a phasing effect that kind of takes it just out of the the more shrill peak kind of sound yes. that he gets and it just it works so well and is psychedelic and is amazing um and and then a beautiful little albuquerque uh oh, just yes. to thumb its nose at brian who's i know just who wasn't shout there out to brian brinkman <laughs> but you know it's, it's this karini it is good if this karini is really good somebody brought the quote up uh Mark uh, Territon shared the quote. It has this version of Carini that I'm convinced it's the greatest version of all time. He said that in the Relics piece in 2001 mm -hmm. when they were talking about the Live Fish series. And um, it's funny because it sounds, I don't want to say standard, but they cover this ground very effectively, almost automatically in a modern Carini. Yeah. Am I crazy to say that? No, I think so. I mean, it's it, listening to it compared to some of the Karinis we've heard in like 3.0 and 4.0, like this, yeah, it doesn't, I think there've been much, much better versions since then. It's It's got that kind of like metal, like dark sound. But then I think now we hear Karinis go like into beautiful spaces too. So it's, yeah, I mean, he would probably adjust that quote now. <laughs> this is more like the prototype for a good Karini sounds like this. Yeah, exactly. At least. Well Fish.net, the uh, the jam charts called it metallic space rage, which I think it's is not, is pretty on point. Um, I don't know, Megan or or Jonathan, are either of you Star Wars nerds? Uh, yes, I'm not, but Jonathan no. definitely is. Okay, so I'll yes. be very quick about it then. So the way I heard this, Karini is like Kylo Ren's lightsaber, which is who's Adam Driver, the character he plays. It's like very powerful, but it's like it's very undisciplined. It's there. It's like yeah. loose ends. It's it's brash. Like if you get too close to it, you might get a little hurt. And so that's kind of how I heard it. It's undisciplined, but it's got a lot of power here. I love that. <laughs> Hope somebody else out there is really eating that up too, because uh, I know there's some uh, crossover to Star Wars fans and fish fans. Out yeah, there. maybe just one or two. <laughs> we don't yeah, we don't serve that segment too often here, but you know that's why that. I'm here. <laughs> We're so glad. Jonathan's going to be aiming to have you back now, Brian, for sure, after this yeah, reference. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than baseball. I'll take it. Yeah, well, I can speak this language. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Okipa, which was pretty rare then, I yeah. think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was played just once in 99. Uh, one, this is the only time in 2000, and once a piece in 2003, 4, and 09. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of like a once-a-year treat. So nice to get that. And then, yeah, okay, Rage and Susie Greenberg. I've said my piece on Susie. Do uh, you guys have more you want to say about it? Um, I just think that this is, like, exactly how I want to hear Susie. Like, I, I feel like when Susie comes on, it's one of those songs that you're like, okay, you know, you're just like, I know this is kind of, like, standard, but this is great. Like, you've got the cowbell coming in. It's just – and then the groove is, like, just super driving. You know, there's just, like, this kind of, like, feeling to it that when they play that kind of a song at the end of a first set, you know they're going to come back the second set, like just ready to go, which they do. When 
Susie's really hot. You kind of want it to last longer than it yeah. does because yeah. it's usually pretty stock standard, right? But mm-hmm. here's one. I just want to throw a shout out to Fishman for his drum breaks in this oh. version of Susie because famously John Fishman has said aloud that he does not like drum solos, that he finds them boring. I think it's in, I forget which song, maybe it's Hampton 97 where Paige gives, he says a drum solo by Fishman and he does like an anti-drum solo. He doesn't play anything. (laughs) And uh, so for him to take that initiative, for them to pass the ball to him for this Susie Greenberg, it stands out to me. And I think makes it that much more energetic. I really enjoy it. Yeah, this is definitely an exciting version. It's like, this or like the great country horns like that's kind of like how you want to hear Susie like in like a big you want them to give it a little something extra which they do which is great all right so do we have anything else we want to say about set one before we move on I would just say that it's very it's like 2000 in little bits and pieces whereas the second set is a general 2000 sound in a big hunk of like one giant serving Whereas the mm. first set just kind of hints at what's to come. That's my overall view of it. Yeah. And the incredible perp says it was such a good set. I really didn't notice it was only an hour long. The best set always to, like that. I'd have to agree with that too. Cause I did not really study the timings and listening back and any, any recollection that it was particularly short, I just listened and enjoyed the hell out of it. I think maybe uh, I did kind of wonder how I got to drown so fast but time's time's really funny when you're sick anyway, so I don't trust it. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Well, before we start second set, uh, Jonathan, will you tell us a little bit about Sunset Lake? Yes, I will. Uh, Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products for the old deadhead or the young fish fan searching for the mellow body high. Old fish fans are also welcome young deadheads too. Uh, Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. Uh, Nine different strains in this year's harvest that means there is something for everyone. The Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry abacus is best at the end of the night. Uh, all of their flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you <clears throat> great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. Um, I uh, have some cherry abacus right here that I'm looking forward to getting into when I'm uh, a little more cleared up and ready to smoke something, but uh, you can check them out today at www.sunsetlakecbd.com. Use our coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. That's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Thanks, Jonathan. No, we love at Sunset Lake. I know. I'm feeling the same way. We're all just a little bit a little bit hurting this time of year. It's um, it's okay. Brian's here. He's healthy. He's going to carry us on his shoulders. It's the start of the school year, and teachers, our immune systems have to be the most built of anybody because when you're dealing with kids all day, that's all well, I'll that's say. We're off today. Yeah. The ma- the masks are are off, and every it's like we're all like new teachers again because yeah. we haven't had like the exposure that we usually have. So yeah, um, I just want to say about the second set. This is like a dream second set for me it's just five songs three of which are covers by the who the talking heads and the rolling stones i mean 
yes, please. And then <laughs> two, just like beautiful, two of my favorite, one, a real big rarity fish song. So I think this set is just spectacular and I'm excited to hear Brian tell us what it was like as the second set was starting. Well, the second set was very much, I think, a reaction to the rain at set break. The opening of Drowned is, you know, the band's done it a, a ton of times. They've played Water in the Sky, Drowned, you know, all these water-related songs. But it was very clear that that downpour during set break, Drowned was a kind of response to it. Uh, I This second set has, to me, grown in stature since I was there. Uh, when I was there, all the way in the back of the tent, as I mentioned earlier, the, the structure of the tent and the type of music that Fish was playing frequently in 2000, it wasn't as easy to hear and appreciate in real time because the music was very swirly. There was a lot of ambient sounds. There was a lot of subtlety going on in the playing. So when you are in row double Z, all the way in the back of the venue, by the time the sound reaches you, the band is already like two bars ahead. So I can already see how someone like my brother, who was there at his first show and was more looking for a party, wasn't that interested to begin with. This might have been really boring for people who are on a more expecting something more alert. And this was something that takes a lot of study. Like After the 20 years of re-listening to it, uh, this is like doctorate level fish. This isn't for beginners. Totally. You know, this, yeah. isn't, this isn't a survey course. Uh, and I'm thrilled that they released this on Soundboard because I listen to a lot of audience recordings and this does lose a lot in the audience recording compared to the soundboard. I mean, let's talk about, I mean, you touched on this, Megan, but let's talk about the fact that they played one, two, two original songs in the second set. Um, all originals in the encore, but that's the encore. Uh, it's drowned into cross-eyed into dog face boy. Prince Caspian and a Love and Cup. And the Encore's driver in La Josie Wales, sample in a jar. That's like, that's for, by the today's standards, that's unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like, you're lucky to get that many covers in that many shows, more or less. Um, mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and here they just, it didn't matter. The song was maybe less important. Other than the fact that, okay, we're going to play Drowned because it's raining. But, you know, they drown, They actually do a fine job of tracking this out for us. So Drowned is, what, five minutes long? And then mm -hmm. it's 31-minute Drowned when you, if you include the jam. That's and the funny part of this, the previous uh, show that I saw was December 12th, 99 in Hartford. And they also opened the second set there with a 30-minute Drowned. So I just thought every time wow. they play it, it's going to be a half hour long. Monster jam. It's a monster Hard to jam. interrupt. Sorry, my first no. David Bowie was almost 30 minutes long. So, And that's why you still <laughs> are hung up on this, which is I would fair. like it one longer than 11. That's all. Yeah. All right, moving yeah, on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> this jam, though, is incredible. It's just so exploratory. It's just a total journey. And it's what's cool to me about it, what really stands out, is that it sounds like the band – is leading it as opposed to just Trey. Like sometimes you actually have to like search to isolate what Trey is doing. It's really sometimes even hard to hear him. It's It gets so rhythmic, like 18 minutes in Fishman. I, I don't even know what he's doing. He's It seems impossible. He has like two completely different 
beats going on. It's just, it's incredible. And then it gets into this like cool space. And I think the ending is just unbelievable how it kind of melts down and there's this like spacey psychedelic reverb. And it just, I love when they can end a jam like that. It just feels like there's been just such a journey and it's kind of like a resolution to it. It's just absolutely amazing. But you're right. It's not for the uninitiated. (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, Amateurs, go listen to the Crest Theater. Come see us after, (laughs) I don't know, after a while, you'll get there. Um, The drop into cross-eyed after that is just such a meat. Right? Yeah, you really. Exactly what you want. Just what you want after that. The end of Drowned is so, like you mentioned, Megan, so slow and it peters out it's there's not a lot to grab onto anymore there haven't there hasn't been for like 20 minutes by that point but right. really at the end it's like smoke in the air and then just to drop right into that blast open opening of uh cross-eyed and painless which we all love when we hear it it really was a booster shot it was like vitamin b right to everybody in the crowd because there was a lot of like shoegaze staring and just kind of like this well, people who didn't know what to do because you can't dance to it. I mean, you can't, someone yeah. can, I couldn't. Uh, back I to what you were saying at the top, right? About the environment in yeah. a fish crowd in 2000. Um, there were people who were pretty well captivated by this, I'm sure. Uh, doesn't mean they were dancing. Um, but the, uh, you know, when you get the, if you get the mixture just right, this is, absolutely the music that you can ride along with uh but then you know what happens when they drop into cross-eyed that those same people are yeah instantly alert and yeah jumping eight feet in the air and yeah we've we've got another gear for our party Um, exactly and then after that they jam again i mean it's only like a six minute jam but it's it's got kind of that like rock and roll feel to it. It's so good. The piano comes in. It's just like awesome. They've got like this, then they turn into this like ambient soundscape. It's pulsing, right? It's like, there's this like pulsing nature to a lot of these jams that just, that give it this like vibe that is is so cool. I think the big difference for Cross-Eyed compared to Drown to what you're talking about, Megan, I think Fishman keeps up the beat a lot longer in Cross-Eyed mm-hmm. than he does in Drowned. In Drowned, he pretty much goes straight to the hi-hat, the cymbals, and the snare drum and just kind of does this weird jazzy arrhythmic or polyrhythmic uh, beat to it. It's not even a beat. It's just kind of playing around. But Cross-Eyed and Painless, it's talking head straight through. It's yeah. straightforward rock and roll drum beat. And I think that's what keeps everyone centered and this one a little more propulsive. Yeah. And they keep it going. And what a kick down of the song with Dogface oh. Boy after that. I mean, mm. like, if you wonder whether or not Fish is enjoying the show in the moment, they play Dogface Boy, <laughs> they're enjoying themselves. They're giving it, they're, they're sharing a good time with everybody there. And uh, what, a, what a lovely little tune, absurd it's, little tune. It's, it's so earnest, <laughs> though. It just, this one hits me, like, so deep. It's only been played 54 times since 1994. I've never seen it. I just feel like it's something that is one of those early songs when Trey was like pushing himself to write more earnestly. And I think it really stands out and I would love to hear it 
And I think it's kind of perfect after just absolutely killing it for, you know, however many minutes this first these first two songs are because it's like <laughs> it's probably like 50 minutes of music almost. It's so good. Well, it's funny. We were talking earlier about how high level and cerebral the jams are in in this whole show, by the way, not just Strand, of course, you know, also Reba and also Karini. But then you get lyrics. I think Fishman wrote the lyrics for Dogface Boy. Yep. You know, for Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah. This so, is a full band right. it was a collaboration. Uh, songwriting credit, but yeah, that means oh, that's okay. <laughs> but you get the but you get that high level cerebral jamming, and then you get I won't lend another hand to the worm girl of Hanoi. You know, it's <laughs> it's just a completely complete contrast from one to the other, but it is comfort food, Megan, right? Like it is that kind of it's it's only been played 54 times. It's on hoist though, so a lot of people have heard mm. it. It's a very good selling album. And I think this is it's like it's Rosh Hashanah, so I'll say it's like matzo ball soup for a lot of the fish crowd. It's it's comfort Perfect. food. Perfect. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. And I agree that anytime they play a song that rare, they're they're having fun. Into just then, Caspian, which I think is a fantastic version. Uh, let me let me try another take on that. And then they ruin the show by playing Caspian. <laughs> I don't mean that. I just know there's somebody out there. Uh, Why do people hate this did. song so much? Because it, it, it's slow. This came up the last time I was on. And I, I can answer that question. So Good. when they started playing it in 1994, like they do with almost all of their new songs at any given time, it was overplayed. And Every song of Fish is overplayed at some point. And Prince Caspian is two chords. And it's kind of one chorus, sort of. And it's and it when it was new, it was literally a two and a half minute song, yeah. literally. So a lot yeah, of people so on the set list, instead of yeah. calling it Caspian, they would write "fucker pants!" exclamation point. Yeah, and it just hasn't outgrown that for a lot of crusty old jaded vets. Which is stupid because they've had some absolutely epic versions of this song, and the song can jam, it's... and yeah, and, and it's like and this version is a pretty good one. It's yes, incredible. It is. It's like a beautiful intro, really impassioned. Paige sounds incredible. I think they describe him on .NET as grounded, which I think is like the perfect way to describe him. He's just really like laying it down on the piano. It's just beautiful. Trey's yeah, well, got like the effects. Yeah, Trey's got his Leslie spinning up, so it gets a little warbly and weird mm -hmm. and beautiful. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really nice version. Um, I think that's a good call from Perp, the reminiscent of the Japan 99 Caspian. Uh, it raged. And yeah, yes, yeah, it, it does. It did rage. And Mark, I am with you. I am also a sucker for two chord songs. It gives me all the feels. Yes. Well, Trace mentioned that he, he saw, he wrote this song after seeing Neil Young live. And he said he never wanted to get to the point where he couldn't move people with a two chord song. So he like truly went out of his way to write a song that was purposely simple in terms of chord progressions with power. And here it's we a are. Stunning composition. Yeah, and now we got Prince yeah. Caspian. And I'm glad about it. Um so great Caspian and I just want to say I I'm a big fan of Love and Cup. I I love this song. Me too. I love I love it as a closer or an encore. Um, I think when we were when in my um, discussion of encores earlier this year on the show, I, I think I made exception for a loving cup encore because <laughs> I'm a fan of that. It just it, so, but as a closer, of course, even better because then 
the inevitable encore will be something else. Um, and uh, this one, uh, they even jam charted this one because it has a little outro jam on it, which is great. A little, not quite, not the same as the Susie one, but just a little, just that extra mustard that we got at the end of the first set. I was wondering when I was listening, is this the first straightforward rock and roll since Susie Greenberg to close the first set? Because I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of psycho stuff in the in between then. Yeah, I mean, Cross-Eyed and Painless is Cross-eyed not and- rock and roll. I mean, that is that is Fela-driven, <laughs> you know, funk rock. It is not straight rock and roll. So, yeah, I think that is absolutely what we have here. And so you really get it at the bookends. You get Punch You in the Eye, which is mm-hmm. arguably pretty much straight rock and roll. We didn't really talk about it, but a hell of a way to – always a good way to start a show. Best opener. Susie, mm-hmm. Love and Cup. Uh, yeah, they're just bookending this with, with solid rock and roll. And it, and I think that ending it with uh, not with Susie Greenberg with Loving Cup is a big release for a lot yeah. of people. I mean, I'm speaking for myself, really. I think I'm projecting onto a lot of fans. Go. Right, I'm 17 years old at this show. Uh, I'm deep, 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 deep into my fish obsession, as obsessed as anyone can be. The internet. It was the first time I had an Ethernet connection. So I was getting more music from all <laughs> angles, more than I ever could in any time in my entire life. I'm obsessed. I don't have a girlfriend, shocker. So all, all of my life and time and attention is devoted between school and fish. And so a lot of Drowned and a lot of uh, uh, um, Cross-Eyed and Painless and Karini, I knew that I was liking it, but I hadn't really fully downloaded it yet. I My brain yeah. I hadn't processed yet so i didn't know what i was liking yet so to hear something like dessert like loving cup something that's yeah. easy straightforward you enjoy it like there's it's not complex onto it. grab onto it and you'll walk out happy not quite yet there's an encore but i think it was a good release always a blast in the moment too yeah. you know when you get the uh, beautiful buzz line everybody sings along the lights go up on the whole room and uh that never fails to feel good we still have the encore, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> lights um, aren't up yet. <clears throat> no. Well, no, I mean that bit uh, right on the what a white beautiful lights. buzz. And, yeah, oh, yes, yes, the white yes. Lights out on the audience. Yeah. Um, yes, but let's talk about that encore. So this yeah. is an interesting one, right? So they come out and they play two really kind of quiet tunes. What was that like there? It was very weird. It was very, un- it was, it was very unexpected. It was whiplash between Loving Cup, Driver, and the in-law Josie Wales, especially the in-law Josie Wales, because it seemed like a Trey solo show. And I know that's mm-hmm. also a crusty, jaded vet, uh, uh, it's a typical thing to say. Isn't uh, this Mistroni? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll see it higher ground for the opening. But, uh, but it, um, it really was strange because with Fish, especially any band, but with Fish, you expect the encore to be something rocking and enjoyable and rare. And a lot of a lot of typical bands keep their best known songs for the encore. You know, when you yeah. go to the straight terrible world, idea. You know, like Billy Joel will play Piano Man and Scenes from an Italian Restaurant for his encore, and I'm a Billy Joel fan. I don't want to hear it from anyone in the comments, uh, but. But Harry but Styles was, did the same thing. Right, the right. Song everybody was waiting for. But and these are new songs, Driver and the in-law Josie Wales at the time. 
So it was a little strange to hear them in such a high profile spot after such a major show. That's how I, they did you know, it though. It was That's very quiet. Why they did it. It's special. Yeah. I think they felt like <clears throat> they were they had been like I think they play Loving Cup when they're when they're feeling the love with the audience. I think that is mm-hmm. a song they drop when it's you know, just feels right. Um a little like Sleeping Monkey, but different. Um yeah. And uh, I think that's what you got here. They were like, "This is that was so fun. That was such an intense show. Let's let's give them, uh, you know, something a little quiet, and then we'll, you know, we'll wrap it up with a bang." I also yeah. wanted to throw an alternate history question out at you guys, uh, mm. like Man in the High Castle sort of question. So <laughs> they mentioned in their announcement, the band that is, that they're taking the hiatus to quote uh, rest and recharge. And they said, hopefully get another good 17 years. I had the thought that maybe Driver and the in-law Josie Wales coming on for an encore was also maybe a smidgen of Trey wants to explore another side of his musicality. Like mm-hmm. he wants to indulge himself a little bit and play like what would end up being more of his solo songs. I don't know. Am I off base? What do you think? Um, arguably, we've been seeing a lot of that going back the previous year that's true uh, yeah with farmhouse Trey, and how he produced farmhouse yeah well, i mean he came out in 99 with uh you know with his trio tour and then brought a bunch of those songs right into fish got mm-hmm. a jaboo yeah and they became you know sand got a jaboo etc and uh, yeah i mean you know i don't think they i don't think that's crazy um i think that they were you know i mean the whole the hiatus came really came up because they didn't know why they were still playing shows after playing big Cypress. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I think they felt also they, they stopped because they felt like things were getting too, it was too much work, too many like obligations, even though they didn't have a huge staff and the staff really paid for themselves. But I think that they felt that there was a lot and they weren't connecting either. I felt like they stopped spending time together. Right. Like they, they were practicing, they stopped practicing. They weren't, relating off stage at all they didn't they weren't having as much fun you know yeah and then i think all of those things get thrown into relief once one element is a little weird yeah you start to notice all the others and uh so yeah um so interesting question i i i think they were kind of already doing that um fish seemed to function as trey's outlet uh and, you know, there are things they maybe have never shared with us and never will about what those conversations might have been that led to the actual mm-hmm. directly to the hiatus. And that's fine. I don't need to. Right. We don't deserve we, we don't need to hear them. It's, it's I don't have any right to that information. Right. Um, but but they uh, sample in a jar to end the whole thing. Exactly. They, so they play those songs. They're cute. I think of them as a treat for the audience. I think of them as just giving too. us a little like um, an intimate moment. Now the people out on the lawn may have, you know, may have been pouring on them, and probably maybe not such a great experience. Um, yeah, but the band it dug it, and uh, yeah, and then they play sample, leave you with a rocker. Yeah, and I agree, Jonathan. I think that they play a song that's rare. They they think the audience is going to be excited about that. I mean, Driver's been played thirty six times. It's just not a very common song, you know. And so for them to play it. It means they're they're wanting to do something special, and 
I love in-law Josie Wells. I, maybe I'm the only one, but I think it's just absolutely stunning. I dig it. It's so special. Yeah, it's so special. So, yeah, I think they're probably trying to make it special. It's interesting because this show is – the band is on record saying that this is one of their favorite shows. And it's just so interesting to, to hear that. So this is the kind of stuff they play when they're when they're happy. The rare at stuff, least right? in At least in the year 2000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just one last note about the in-law Josie Wales. It was played nine times in 2000, but it hasn't been played since October 6, 2000 in Shoreline. So we're waiting yeah. for that bust out whenever they want to bring it back. Yeah, I heard Trey play it at like Carnegie Hall when he did his solo tour in 2019. But yeah, it would be a huge bust out at this point. Many years. Yeah, I mean, he plays it pretty regular uh, with Tab. He's already played it two, five times this year. So mm-hmm. there will be more. Uh, and yeah, it may never return Last to a fifth over. stage, but that's fine. I guess, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> well, this has been so fun to talk about this show. And it seems like Josh Vaughn is with us too. He's glad we did this show. And so is Matt Thomas. Great to hear you guys talk about the show. One of my favorite shows. This show was really fun to go back and listen to so nice to hear it and like the archival release and get like the full soundboard off it so it's been great thanks brian for recommending this to us my pleasure i think it's a show of its time and Mm -hmm. i think that to get a full understanding of fish in at this point in 2000 right before the hiatus i think this is essential listening this show is i agree i i think this run though is you know the various shows of 914 uh, what was the next one? Nine fifteen or six? Yeah, nine fifteen Hershey Park, um, mm-hmm. and nine seventeen. Before you get out west and things get a little wild, let me just say things got a little wild out west. <laughs> um, uh, I think those are pretty solid examples of where the cooler heads in the band were still. You know, they hadn't. Uh, like I said, they hadn't gone wild out west. Um, Things were they, they they had their heads together a little bit still, but they were uh, they were just jamming and exploring a lot. So uh, really, just a great example of that, and really fun to listen to. Yeah. So Brian, you'll have to come back. Will you come back? I'll come back. You just uh, you know where to find me. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for being here, Brian. It was great to talk to you. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to both of you. Yeah, and before we let you go, will you remind everyone about Attendance Bias? You recently just won the Wookiee for Podcast <laughs> of the Year from the Wook Plus Awards. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit about the podcast and where we can find it. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, recent award winner. Uh, yeah, so Attendance Bias, it's one word as it's spelled. It is a podcast literally for Fish fans to come on and tell a story about a meaningful show that they've attended. It's that simple. Uh, I have a lot of guests. I'm up to something like 115 episodes. Megan has been on the show. Uh, Jonathan is in the queue to hopefully come on soon. And uh, it's just a whole bunch of people, a whole different types of fans telling about full shows, sets or portions of shows. It's more about the people and the stories than it is about the music usually. Uh, But if you're into fish, if you love sitting down next to a stranger and just either overhearing or talking to someone and hearing some good stories about being on tour, it's your podcast. So you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Just search Attendance Bias and it'll be there. 
Oh, thank you. Yes. Brian, the incredible perp, says he loves your show. I do, too. Thank you. Always nice to get some love in the comments. Always. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, incredible perp. Awesome, Brian. Well, we will see you soon. And everyone check out Attendance Bias when you can. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Did we do it, Jonathan? I, I mean, I think we did it. That was great. Awesome. Yeah, I'm that was need so fun. I know, me too. I'm really like pulled all my energy out. I have been on the couch all day. So it's time to uh it's time to get back there. But before we wrap up, we want to remind everyone about our friends at Free. Fans for Racial Equity seeks to build an anti-racist live music scene and promote liberation through racial equality in the world at large by activating the collective power of our community. By facilitating thoughtful engagement around race and its intersection with other issues, Free empowers fans to challenge discrimination and systematic oppression wherever they see it. To get involved in Free's education, outreach, and community partnership programs, sign up to volunteer at fansforracialequity.org or share in the groove at the free table at shows. They're always set up and always have really great people working there. So check them out. We're lucky to have them in our community. So thank you, Free. Yeah, they're awesome. And nice folks. Great organization. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being in the comments. You guys are the best. We really love having you and hearing your thoughts, especially when you're at the show. That's so fun. So thanks, everyone. And um, thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Megan. I'm glad Bye, everybody. Better. Bye, everyone. <laughs> See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.